We are in Romans chapters 8 today. Romans 8. And through our study of this magnificent epistle of the book of Romans, there have been a, a number of high points along the way, a number of summits that we have reached. But in a way, Romans 8 is like the Mount Everest of all those summits. Scholars through the years have pointed to not only the importance of the book of Romans, but especially this particular chapter 8. And uh, the biblical scholar Spencer wrote, in fact, <clears throat> if, if you could picture Holy Scripture as a ring, the book of Romans would be the jewel on top of the ring. And Romans chapter 8 would be the sparkle in the jewel on the ring. Now that's saying quite a bit, given all that we have found in Scripture. And we, we know and keep in mind that all of Scripture has been given by inspiration of God. And it's, it's all His Word. But it is true that Romans 8 does stand out as uh, one of those high points in the Scripture. Perhaps we are so fond of Romans chapter 8 because coming out of the, the dense and dark force of Romans chapter 7, we are glad to be back in the light of Romans chapter 8 and the good news that it proclaims to us and assures us of. And it begins by telling us there is no condemnation. These are things we finally we want to hear after Romans 6 and 7. <clears throat> and so I think it... Uh, It speaks to us well coming out of those needful chapters. The Apostle Paul says that believers are under no condemnation. We're, we're just going to look at um, verses 1 through 4 today. Though if uh, <clears throat> you'll turn there. Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on, a, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit <clears throat> believers are under no condemnation there's a connection backward here of course that is obvious from the beginning of the verse there is therefore now no condemnation and so what is Paul referring back to in the therefore? Well, you could say in a way all of uh, Romans 8 up to this point. In fact, if you look at the back of your insert, your uh, notes, uh, we're, we're going to uh, pause for a moment to consider the, the therefore and what it's pointing back to. Romans chapter uh, 1 through 7 that we've already been through, those culminate 
in Romans chapter 8 those all lead us to this conclusion that's being drawn in Romans chapter 8 that there is therefore now no condemnation and then Romans 9 through 16 flow from chapter 8 so we have 1 through 7 leading up to it and then then we have chapter 8 and then 9 through 16 flowing out of it and when we get to 9 through 16 we see how that comes out of it but now if we go back to a nearer context just considering Romans 7 and 8 um, there is a, a interesting structure that we find that unfolds here in, in what we studied so far Romans chapters 5 through 8 um, begins with the point of assurance of future glory then moves on to the basis of assurance then deals with the problem of sin the problem of law the basis of assurance and then back to assurance of future glory so we have that's called uh, a chiastic structure um, sometimes called a ring structure but the so we begin with the assurance of future glory that we saw if you remember back to Romans chapter 5 that um, therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that's Romans 5 1 and 2 then in Romans 6 he tells us that the reason for this hope being steadfast and sure is because of the Holy Spirit who's been poured out into our hearts so that is the assurance of future glory um, Romans 1 5 1 through 11 but then we came to Romans 12 and the, the fact that in Adam all have sinned but based on the work of Christ we have assurance so the basis of assurance is the work of Christ then Romans chapter 6 dealt with the problem of sin and what to do about it consider yourselves crucified with Christ count it to be so don't present your members as slaves to sin and so forth in Romans chapter 7 is the problem of the law how is the believer to look at the law so after dealing with those two problems now he's going back to the basis of assurance and this is the passage that we're in Romans 1 excuse me Romans 8 1 through 17 we're just doing 1 through 4 today but the theme of this passage like it's parallel passage in Romans 5 is the basis of assurance now notice back there the basis of assurance chapter 5 was the work of Christ which is needed by the sons of Adam because of procreation that is the sin of Adam was handed down generation to generation through procreation but the basis of assurance now in Romans 8 is still the work of Christ but it is provided for the sons of God and that comes through new creation being born again and then we uh, we end this section with Romans 8 18 through 39 and the assurance again of future glory so we begin this broad section with glory and end with glory and in between we have the assurance of the work of Christ which supersedes the problems of sin and law now that's another way to look at it uh, looking yet closer to the context uh, that we're dealing with uh, Romans chapter 7 verse 5 if you look at that for a moment 
For when, it's pointing back in time, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Now that verse, Romans 7, 5, is expanded upon in Romans 7, 14 through 25. That's how he goes on to explain that in that passage. So the, basically the rest of Romans 7. But Romans 6, I mean Romans 7, 6, chapter 7, verse 6 says, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And as we pointed out when we were back in Romans 7, 6, that then is expanded upon in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. In fact, you see the, how verse 6 begins, Romans 7, 6. But now, and that, that thread is picked up again in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. So that's the section that we're in. Now yet closer in context yet is the just before. What has Paul said just before this Romans 8, 1 through 4? We know that uh, in the last part of Romans 7, he was talking about the inability to keep the law and the things he wanted to do, he didn't do, the things he did want to do, those he did, and he comes to his conclusion in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? Who will deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Romans 8 builds on the answer there that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So 7, 24, and 25 is expanded upon in Romans 8, 1 through 4 and specifically asking or answering the question how does God deliver us from sin and death? Now you go back to the other side of your insert sometimes it helps just to kind of orient yourself to where you are in context so you know what's been said before at least and we'll see later on what comes after but basically God has led Paul up to this point to prepare us for the statement all that's been said up to now has been in preparation for this to tell us now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The, the condition at present for a believer right now is now no condemnation. And that is significant, the, the, the presence of that right now because of verse 24 of the previous chapter. O wretched man that I am who will deliver me. And remember when we looked at that, it was future because the total deliverance from the problem of sin doesn't happen now. None of us is ever going to become perfect and sinless in this life. In, in the future, we will be glorified. We will be made just like Christ. And we are in process now, but we will be delivered completely in the last day. But what about now? See, that comes the question then. Well, yeah, one day I'll be completely delivered and I won't even be able to sin anymore. Praise God. But what about now? So that's why Paul addresses the situation now. So he's not just leaving us hanging with the idea of, 
one day, but how about now? And here's the answer. There is now no condemnation. Right now, in fact, you could say that the truth of the future has invaded the present. What God has declared to be true for us one day has invaded the present now and is true for us now. And uh, if you look at Romans 8, 30, it says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Past tense. Because from God's point of view, it's a done deal. Because he, he's not stuck in the present wondering what we're going to do. He, he is... He encompasses all time and he knows the future and that one day we will be completely glorified, look just like Christ and he counts that true of us now. That there is no sin in us now that would make us um, unrighteous. That he could not look upon us as being cleansed. There is now no condemnation. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't deserve condemnation, right? We certainly do. But it's by God's grace that there is now no condemnation. The blood has been applied for past, present, and future transgressions. Now, the condition of this being true, of this holding true with any person, has to do with this. There is therefore now no condemnation to, to who? To those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, this is true. Christ is our ark of safety. Like Noah's ark. In the day of the flood, it was who was in the ark that, was, that were saved. The people outside the ark, they were doomed under God's judgment. Being in the ark was what was in that day, right? Well, today, what's important is being in Christ, belonging to him. All who are outside of Christ are under judgment. All who are in Christ have no condemnation on them. So you are either in the world and under judgment, or you are in Christ and under no condemnation. Now, verse 1, um, in some translations, goes on to say, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Uh, that um, phrase is not in most ancient Greek manuscripts, but it is picked up again at the end of verse 4. You see that same thing at the end of verse 4? Uh, Fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we still get to the same expression, and it's still applicable, as we'll see. It's just in some translations, it's not in verse 1. So we'll deal with that later when we come to it in verse 4. Well, if believers are under no condemnation, how, how did that come about? What are the reasons for that? Paul now explains in verse 2 and 3 how that is true. Why that happens. And basically it comes down to two reasons. First of all, because the law of the Spirit. And secondly, because of the gift of God in Christ. So verse 2. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit has made me free from the law of sin. And in this case, the word law is not referring to the Mosaic law, but the word law means um, the, the rule or the regulation or the operating principle um, that governs something. The rule, regulation, or operating principle. For instance, the law of gravity. Uh, we, we operate by that law of gravity. Uh, you don't go up into the top of your house and try to fly off of it because you know that gravity is still a law that's in effect and you will come crashing down. So please, kids, do not try this at home. So the, the law, the operating principle of gravity, we, um, we recognize. And that's the way the word law is being used here in verse 2. The, the law, the regulation, the operating principle of the Spirit. The operating principle, the working of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So it is the Spirit who gives life. Notice he is referred to here as the spirit of life. The law, the, the working principle of, of the spirit of life. So where does this life come from? Go with me to Titus chapter 3. Titus 3 verses 4 through 6. Remember all the T's are together. First and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy and Titus. Titus chapter 3 let's start at verse 4 for when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward men appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. He saved us through the washing of regeneration. Regeneration is what makes us alive, makes us new, but it also cleansed us. It's the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit to give us new life. The renewing of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So it's through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now back to Romans 8. That is uh, part of which, and a big part of, of which uh, Paul is referring here in Romans 8 two. For the law or the operating principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The spirit who gives life, he gives it in Christ Jesus. So again, we have that phrase, in Christ Jesus, a reminder that you have to believe in him. You have to be in Christ. It is only provided in him. And this life makes us free. 
The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Go back to Romans chapter 7, verse 23. We remember Paul's dilemma. Romans 7, 23. But I see another law operating principle. I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Now notice that last part of the verse, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And then see what he says in verse 2, for Romans 8, 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We were held captive by it. And if we, if we choose to follow that way, the sin has no right to be a master over you, remember. Has no right of dominion over you. But it will draw you back into captivity if you let it. But God by His Spirit has set me free from that operating principle, that rule, that authority over me of the law of sin and death. So this life makes me free. Tomorrow is the 4th of July and we'll be uh, celebrating in various ways our, our national freedom and individual freedom here. But no freedom could be any greater to rejoice in than this one. In fact, we celebrate once a week here together this freedom. That in Christ we have been set free. And we celebrate every day. If you, we wake up not in bondage to sin. But under, under the beneficent dominion of Christ. And we rejoice in that kingdom and that freedom. So this life makes us free. Now, verse 3 further explains what he means in verse 2. So read verse 2 and then go on to the verse 3. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For, saying because, this is, this is the next reason, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. The law of the Spirit is able to make me free because of the gift of God in Christ. First of all, Paul deals with the inability of the law. He has already spoken uh, quite a bit about that in chapter 7 and we saw that point made again and again in Romans chapter 7 so this is kind of a reminder of, of all that the law does all that God intended it to do in Romans 7 and 12 in fact we are told therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good the law is good but it was never intended to bring righteousness to make someone right with God it was intended to expose sin, to establish a standard of this is what God expects from man, but also to show that none of us are capable of attaining that standard. 
uh, go back to uh, analogy I used at that time in Romans 7 it's kind of like if you are in a surgical room and uh, doctors doing surgery and there's this bright light shining on the patient and the patient's cut open and the light is shining on it and the light is exposing the problem but the light shining on the area on the problem doesn't do anything to fix it does it it just makes more clear what the problem is and and that's how the law works the law shines on us it exposes what needs to be fixed but the law doesn't fix it it, it was never intended to do that and so Paul is saying here for the, what the law could not do not because there's something wrong with the law but what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh don't tell me that's from me <laughs> so we, so we saw that it's, it's really sinful man our, our own flesh that we cannot keep the law and God is demonstrating yeah that's right to us that's true so what the law could not do because we were weak in the flesh and then we see so first of all the inability of the law now secondly the intervention by God the law couldn't do it but God did it God did it how well first of all he sent his own son that was the price for our spiritual freedom the law was holy and perfect and just and good it did its intended purpose none of us could keep it God sent his own son there was no other answer no other payment that could be made he, he couldn't have just sacrificed a million bulls and goats all of that blood would have done nothing he couldn't have sent his best angels to die because they were spirit only it had to be someone who was a man and God at the same time God the Father sent his own son and we are I'm sure intended to see the preciousness of the relationship here of the father and the son the father in heaven with looking down all upon the calamitous state of us all that everyone was going to hell but he and the son in their eternal wisdom had the plan that the son would come that God sent the son to die for us his own son nothing greater could have been sent nothing lesser could have availed he sent his own son Paul goes on to say God did this sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh now I think he chooses his words here under divine inspiration very carefully he says not that Jesus just came in a body but in the likeness of sinful flesh so all of us are in these 
these bodies with our limitations and so forth he was in a body which was able to experience uh, thirst and um, hardship the pain of a nail going through his hands he was able to experience all those kinds of things that we are and yet and even be tempted and yet he was without sin so it's in the likeness of sinful flesh now personally I think what this means is if you go back to Romans chapter 5 12 um, and remembering that this is beginning the, the section that is parallel to this section as the assurance of future glory Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. And when we looked at that passage a couple months ago, whenever it was, remember that we were talking about the sin of Adam, the original sin, and how that was passed down through procreation, generation by generation by generation. And Adam was the only man who was made by God uh, Eve was made by God too out of Adam then all their children came from them and all the children who were, everyone who's in the world came through that lineage and through procreation the, the sin was passed down Paul's point is everyone who's ever been born has been born in sin in, in sin my mother conceived me Psalm 51 tells us well, I believe the answer to this is that Jesus Christ was not born of a human man. He was born of a human woman, Mary. But it is important that he was, uh, she conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit and not by Joseph. And I think that bypassed the original sin. And so that is what is meant by um, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, I'm, I'm kind of in the minority of people who believe that's the answer to this, but it, so there may be something else, and if you, if you have a better idea, you can let me know. But one thing that, even out of the variety of answers, one thing that is true of every position is this. It is intended to show us that he was not sinful. That he had no sin of his own that he did. He didn't start out with sin and he never sinned. And so that made him eligible to be the perfect, holy sacrifice for us all. So God sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. For the, for the purpose of sin. Um, concerning sin. The, the word if here says for sin. That's not forceful enough to translate the Greek word peri here. It should be in, on account of sin. The, the problem with sin. He sent his son on account of this. For, to deal with this one problem. 
sin, on account of sin. The reason a sacrifice had to be made was sin. Thereby condemning sin in the flesh. What, what did God condemn? Sin. Notice verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation in verse 1. Condemnation in verse 3. Condemnation of sin. So sin was condemned so that we would not be. And how was that sin condemned? Thereby condemning sin in the flesh. And that is referring to Christ's flesh. Whom God sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. God therefore, because Christ had put on the likeness of sinful flesh on the cross, God took all of your sin and all of my sin and he put it on Christ on the cross and he nailed it to the cross. He condemned sin. And where was that sin? It was put upon Jesus Christ. As Mike read to us from Isaiah 53 a little while ago. And by his stripes we are healed. It was put upon him and he was nailed to the cross in the flesh. Finally, the result of being under no condemnation, verse 4, the word that, that begins verse 4, uh, indicates that he's drawing a conclusion to this or giving us a result of the two verses before because of the law of the spirit which is operating in us because of the gift of God in Christ which was given for us the result in verse 4 that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. What is the righteous requirement? What does Paul mean by that? The righteous requirement of the law. It is, is what the law justly demands of people. It is the, the righteous requirement. And note it's singular here, not plural. The law has a lot of requirements if you look at the law. So why does he use it in the singular? It's because in general, what is the righteous requirement of the law? Perfection. To, to keep it, to be just like God. So the righteous requirement is what God justly demands of all. That the righteous requirement might be fulfilled in us. Now note the passive there. That it might be fulfilled. Not that we fulfill the righteous requirement. It's not like we believe that Christ died for us and then we go out and try to fulfill the law on our own. It's that the righteous requirement might be fulfilled. Passive. It, it's something that God does in us and for us. It is in us, not by us. 
Notice how he says that carefully here. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, not by us, not through us, not because of us, but in us. Might be fulfilled passive in us. This is something God does. It's not that we have absolutely no part. There is apparently so. I mean, we, um, for instance, I remember when my, my kids were real little, I, uh, I taught them to swim when they were like toddlers. And I'd take them into the pool and uh, help them to learn how to flop their arms and kick their legs. And then I'd hold them under their belly and take them from one side of the pool to the other side. And so they're flailing around, right? You can kind of picture them doing this but they they safely get to the other side of the pool now starting out over this side all the way to the other side to the end how did they get there I carried them I brought them along I took them now were they doing something yes and and more and more, they were doing what I told them to do. They, they learned not just to flail their arms, but how to do strokes, how to kick their legs, how to hold their legs straight. More and more, they learned how to do it. But I brought them along. Now, the, the problem with the analogy is that eventually, they learn how to swim on their own. We never get to the point where we're on our own. We're all like babies, but we all do what God has told us to do and we try to do it better as we go along but he's the one who carries us through so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us that's the fulfillment of the righteousness by Christ in us we see the fruit of the righteousness who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit Literally, it is the ones walking. This is meant to be descriptive. Descriptive, meaning this describes those who are uh, being made perfect. It's not proscriptive. It's not, this is how you are made perfect by walking in the Spirit, but it is descriptive, describing the situation of those who are in Christ. Those who walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh so we've already seen the, um, the first description of that in verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus that's the first thing right you have to be in Christ now we see another description of those same people that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, what that means, not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, verses 5 through 11 expand upon. And Lord willing, we'll look at that passage next week. And Paul has a lot to say to describe what that means for us. But for now, let's just accept it at face value for 
what it is. The, the idea is that God does not set us free to sin. He sets us free from sin. So having been born again, we're not just left on our own to live any old way that we want to, but those who he calls to himself and, and brings to himself and saves, he also implants his Holy Spirit into them that they might walk in a way that pleases him. There's no such thing as a person who is in Christ who does not have the Spirit in them. Those things happen at the same time. The moment you're born again, you have the Spirit inside of you, indwelling you. To be in Christ means to have the Spirit in you. And so that's why these two things are being descriptive are really the same thing. Those who are in Christ Jesus, those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the assurance that we are given of no condemnation is based on these two truths. The saving work of the cross of Christ and the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. If you are in Christ, then you are to the Spirit. If a person is walking according to the flesh, then what should we say of them or what should they think of themselves? That gives reason for them to wonder, am I really in Christ? And may, there may be times and seasons even of life where we are not walking by the Spirit. That doesn't mean you can be saved and unsaved and resaved and that sort of thing. But what God does is you're still under no condemnation, but that doesn't mean you're, under, you're not under chastisement. Because the Father chastises those whom he loves, those who belong to him, who are in his family. He doesn't just let us wander off. The hallmark of someone who can say with assurance, I am under no condemnation, the hallmark of that person is based on these two things. I know that I am in Christ because I have believed in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I am walking in the Spirit in the course of life. Not perfectly, but what, what would be said of me is not he's walking in the flesh, but he's walking in the Spirit. Now, um, we're going to celebrate communion in just a moment. And so I'd like uh, the ones who are going to be uh, passing out the elements to come forward so we prepare our hearts for this. And don't